Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. All right, hey. everybody, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Yep. Once again, I am your host, Ben Sternke. I'm mm-hmm. here with the other host, the host with the most. Or maybe that's me, I don't know. I don't know which one of us has the most. <laughs> most what? Who's I think, most I think... full of beans? Who's the most full oh, of beans today? Prob- well, I don't have any silly beans. beans. Matt, those are the, those are the, those oh, are the kinds of beans, beans I'm talking that's, about. Silly beans. Yeah, you. That's always me. You usually have a lot of silly beans. I, I um, typically call yes, them magic welcome. beans. Mm, yeah, I mean that's you know, yeah, debatable. But uh, they're at least we know that at least we know they are silly. Whether or not they're magic, you know, we could talk about that. Um, very good. Yes, um, we're in this mini series um, where we're talking a little bit about leadership mm-hmm. um, with a bunch of these are a bunch of actually old interviews that um, uh, we we had to basically delay the release to yeah. uh, deal with all of our other. Uh, series that we were doing. So yeah. anyway, but um, these are good uh, interviews. Lots of great insights today from Marcus Warner about brain science mm-hmm. and what brain science can teach us about leadership. But it's not just about brain science. It's kind of uh, Marcus Warner and Jim Wilder work together uh, quite a bit. And so there's a lot of the same kinds of um, uh, insights that kind of span theology and brain yes. science, like yes. theology and brain science and leadership. It's kind of like this book, Rare Leadership, uh, that Marcus wrote with Jim, and it's yeah. um, they're, they're fascinating insights about leading teams and kind of what's happening and relationally inside your systems and mm-hmm. all of that kind of thing. So eager to, for you to hear that interview. Also, I want to mention during December, though, we are also um, running a, um, a kind of a project, a transformation uh, fund project. We've had a lot of people come through Gravity Leadership Academy. You hear us talk about that uh, on this podcast. This podcast yep. is sponsored by Gravity Leadership Academy. And um, we t- we t- we've trained hundreds of leaders to, um, to kind of uh, lead movements of transformation, um, starting with themselves in their churches and in their organizations. Uh, but we have a lot of leaders who are unable to afford Gravity Leadership Academy. We're always trying to give people discounts, um, Mm -hmm. work creatively with people, help them raise money, all of that kind of thing. But we can't give as many discounts um, as we would like to. And there's a lot of um, under-resourced church leaders out there, a lot of church planters out there um, who just don't have the funds uh, to be able to do it. So Mm -hmm. we have a new partnership with uh, New Horizons Foundation in Colorado Springs. um, And through that partnership, we are running a campaign during 
December to try to raise $9,000 to be able to provide a 75% scholarship to six leaders so we yes. can form a new cohort uh, in the new year um, that yes. is uh, filled with leaders who would otherwise be unable to participate in GLA. So if you want to give to that, and we, we've got a 75% scholarship because we have found that it's helpful for people to pay at least something hmm. uh, to go through it so they have um, some sense of ownership. Yeah. Uh, in it. So anyway, the goal is $9,000 and we are running this in December. We're just, this is a new thing. I have no idea if, (laughs) um, if people want to give to this, but it struck us as a a good idea. And, um, if you want to help out some church leaders who want to, they're motivated, they want to experience the the transformation that, uh, Gravity Leadership Academy can provide, but can't afford to get into it. Um, there'll be a link in the show notes yeah. to the transformation fund through, again, through our partnership with New Horizons Foundation. Yeah. So. It's good, man. Yeah, it is good. It's all I, exciting. I, I, feel, I feel good about it and um, would encourage you to give if you've got the wherewithal, the bandwidth to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think that's it for announcements. That's it's all. December 2020. 2020 is coming to an end. We're doing a series on leadership. Winding it down. We're winding it down. I don't know. Everybody's going to be sorry to see 2020 go, but you got to let it go. I know. Yeah, you get, the party has to end at some point. If you love something, yeah. let it go. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I do. Everybody's everybody's like you know that we're all celebrating the end of 2020 because um, it's been quite a year. Um, but I, you know, I keep coming back to like you know, there's no like I don't know that time understands that like we're ready for a better year. Like there's no guarantees <laughs> that January 1st is going to be better. So no. anyway. Yeah. So no, no, it's it's completely fabricated uh, demar- demarcation of time. So actually, there's no guaranteed difference between <laughs> no December 31st difference. and January. Yes. Yeah. So the lesson is: this is an Advent lesson, Matt. The lesson is: uh, don't expect things to just get better because time marches on. Put your hope in the Lord. <laughs> or get some silly beans. Or or and eat then, some silly beans. And then or magic you can just you yes. know. All right. This intro has been um, maybe far too silly. If 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 we're being honest, but let's, um, let's be honest that one of us was all business and one of us had some silliness, mm-hmm. and we'll let the listeners decide who that was. Yes, clearly this, Matt was full of beans today. So let's, let's get into this interview. Here's Marcus. Marcus Warner, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Nice meeting you guys a couple of years ago, and uh, not often you get to talk uh, with people who live in the same area, so this is fun. This is fun. Um, Marcus is does a lot of things. Uh, Marcus, why don't you give us an introduction? What do you spend your time doing, uh, and what are, you, what are you up to these days? So... I'm the uh, president of Deeper Walk International, and we are a discipleship uh, ministry. Our focus is trying to help a church that's a mile wide and an inch deep go deeper. So, hence hmm. the name Deeper mm-hmm. Walk. Yeah. And uh, our focus is on heart-focused discipleship. And the uh, idea being that the most churches are caught up in traditional discipleship that makes people look good on the outside, but doesn't necessarily touch what's going on on the inside. And so we have a lot of tools related to emotional healing, related to uh, spiritual warfare, related to the battle for the mind. Um, And along the way, we've uh, just become friends with a lot of psychology PhD kind of people, you know, who specialize on heart level issues. And uh, one of my good friends is uh, Dr. Jim Wilder, who is exactly that PhD in psychology. He's a brain science expert. And I've been, uh, you know, blessed to write two different books with him now. And so I've learned a lot of brain science and uh, perspectives from him that I try to bring into uh, bring into our work. Um, so a, a large part of what I do yeah. is in the discipleship arena, which, of course, then when it brings you into church work, uh, brings you into the leadership area. And then out of leadership, I've started working uh, not only with churches, but also with corporations uh, dealing with, uh, you know, some of the leadership things that have come up. Hmm. Yeah. Well, the, we want to chat with you about this book that you've written with Jim Wilder in the last couple of years uh, called Rare Leadership. And we won't be able to talk about it without naming that rare as an acronym. Uh, would you would you give mm-hmm. us, would you just introduce that acronym to us uh, briefly here? Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of interesting. So Jim um, was the lead counselor at Shepherd's House Counseling Center in Southern California. 
And uh, I was uh, teaching a deeper walk and I was trying to explain to people what they were doing over there that was working so well. And I heard these phrases thrown around all the time and they were uh, remain relational, act like yourself, return to joy and endure hardship well. Although, to be honest, Jim said suffer well. Um, but that didn't spell anything. So I changed stuff to a hardship well. Remain relational, act like yourself, return to joy, and endure hardship well. Mm. And I remember uh, being at a, a leadership gathering with Jim at one time when we were all supposed to stand up and tell each other what our um, our life mission statement was. And uh, I remember being a little like, oh, man, I'm so glad I have one. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> uh, so I got up, I told people that mine is uh, equipping people to win life's battles. I feel like God's put me here to help people mm. uh, identify the, the right battles to be fighting and mm. you know, coming up with the strategies for winning those battles. And then Jim got up, he said, I, God has called me to equip the church to suffer well. I was like, wow. I looked yeah. up at him. I said, you don't have many friends, do you? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Very few people want to suffer well these days. We're all trying yeah. to avoid suffering as much as possible. Yeah. And that idea just kind of captured my imagination. What does it look like to suffer well? Mm. And uh, he began to explain the brain science behind this. Like suffering well has to do with relational circuitry in your brain and those who can keep that circuitry on versus those who uh, lose access to it. So that was kind of uh, the beginning of the Rare Leadership book was just beginning to look at how do these ideas of, of personal maturity um, impact the leadership and realizing that you know, what separates the leaders we love to follow from the leaders we have to follow basically is maturity. That, yeah. So we yeah. use the rare acrostic to define, well, what does maturity look like? That's yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, uh, you know, it seems like there is a shift in our culture, Marcus, from 20 years ago. 20 years ago, you could be maybe attractive, persuasive, charismatic, and people would follow you and maybe didn't have language or awareness of what poor leadership was or abusive leadership was. And it seems like there's been this cultural shift. I don't know if you uh, would say it like this, but I'd love to get your thoughts on it, where we're starting to wake up to, like, for instance, even 10 years ago, I... I had never heard the word gaslighting, right? Ever. And now it's just in our common vernacular. Like mm-hmm. we're able to identify that. Have you seen the shift? And and what do you what do you like? How do you understand it? How do you what do you ascribe it to? Yeah, I think there's um, a, a greater awareness and a, a greater vocabulary for talking about things that have gone on, and a willingness to talk about things. Again, when I you know, I was born when Kennedy was president, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> when uh, you look at things from that perspective, you think about Kennedy and uh, what was going on behind the scenes in his personal life and how the media just completely said, all right, we'll give you a pass on that. We won't talk about those things. Yeah. Can you imagine something like that happening today, right? They say, we live in, in a very different world back then. They were willing to cover things up for General Eisenhower. They were willing to cover things up for... Uh, for people in, in the news. Hmm. And uh, today we have quite the opposite. And that is, it, it's just everybody's looking for dirt on everyone else. We've got a very polarized um, culture, a very polarized society. And I attribute a lot of this, honestly, to the breakdown into the family. Um, and that is that as the family structure has broken down um, generationally, we have lost the um, construct that God put together for passing on maturity to the next generation. And so the the more people who are, are being raised in broken homes without access to grandparents, without uh, access to people who have been on this path before them or willing to share the journey with them, uh, as multi-generational culture has either become toxic or has fallen apart, we have ended up with a maturity crisis in our culture. Uh, Jim estimates that 75% of males in America function at infant level maturity. Um, that probably 75% of females are functioning at child level maturity. Mm-hmm. That's the average family in America has a, an emotional level, you know, an infant level male married to a child level female trying to raise kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. That's yeah. Be for producing a tremendous amount of maturity in our culture. Yeah. And then as a result, it trickles into leadership and we end up with very immature uh, leaders. Not to say that there was a glory day years ago when everybody was mature, but um, I think we're seeing it 
really um, get almost crisis proportions in our um, culture today. Yeah, and so as you know, we we do a leadership organization, Gravity Leadership. Uh, we could we would probably say all all the things you've said about deeper walk. This is what we do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I think for many Christians, we're used to sort of like uh, thinking about maybe the fruit of the spirit or the Ten Commandments as sort of a rubric for maturity or a rubric for uh, what it means to be a good human and a good leader. But you are also uh, appropriating brain science into this, and you've already used the phrase like relational circuits to describe maybe one aspect or artifact of of an emotionally mature person. Um, Could you maybe unpack a bit, uh, what do you mean by relational circuits, and what are some indications that maybe my relational circuits have gone offline? Yeah, so uh, we actually use the acrostic cake for helping people recognize if their circuits are on or if their circuits are off, and how to get the, and also what to do to get your circuits back on. But let me describe it briefly this way. When my relational circuits are on, I feel like having you around, and I feel like being engaged. And when Mm. my relational circuits go off, I really don't care if you're here, or I actively want you to leave, (laughs) and Mm. I don't feel like having this conversation. So. You take this in a marriage situation just for a moment. And that is, if if my wife and I are talking about something and her relational circuits are on and mine are off, then what that means is that I am not really tuned into her. I'm not engaged with her. I don't feel like having her around. The whole conversation is kind of a nuisance. I'd like it to just stop now. And so what I do is I try to end the conversation as quickly as possible by solving her problem. Right? Okay, here's your problem. Boom, here's the answer. And there is no relationship. Wives, wives love that, by the way. They, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're saying that's a good strategy? <laughs> I've never tried that. And the wife with their relational circuits off at the same time, and you try to talk about a difficult issue, you will have World War III in your home because okay. yeah. um, there is no ability to um, – neither of you are going to be able to remain re- mature in that conversation. You're going to end up acting like little kids who are not getting their way because your relational circuits aren't on. So we actually talk about an on-off switch in the brain, that when your switch is on and your relational circuits are working, you act like yourself, you stay relational, you can be a pretty nice guy that most people like, right? But when that circuit goes off, it literally, what happens is the neural systems in your brain lose access to the part of the brain that remembers who you are. Hmm. So there's a part of your brain right behind your right eye technical term is the right orbital prefrontal cortex. And this is the center to joy. It's the center to our identity. It's uh, Jim calls it the master, um, you know, the master cylinder in the brain, so to speak. It's like, this is the part of my brain that thinks of me as me. But when my relational circuits go off, they stop running through that center of my brain. Now, all of a sudden, I'm making decisions and I'm interacting with people without access to the part of my brain that remembers who I am. So I don't Mm. act like myself. And that's why now and then we find ourselves doing things where like, why did I do that? You know, know, why did I treat that person so bad? Why did I say that? I didn't, you know, that's not like me. You know, it it even gets into addictions. It's like, why, you know, I can't believe it. You know, I just spent the last hour, you know, indulging in this. That's not like me. That's not who I am. And that would be true because, you were literally bypassing the part of your brain that remembered who you were and you were turning into a different person for a little while there. And now you're trying to figure out, well, how do I get back? And that's what return to joy is all about. How do I, how to return from those times when my relational circuits do go off? Yeah. You mentioned the acronym cake. Could you tell us uh, what that stands for in terms of yeah, how to understand when our relational circuits Appreciation, kindness, and uh, eye contact. Now, the idea here is that when my relational circuits are on, I have curiosity about you. I am genuinely curious about what you think and how you feel. When my circuits go off, I lose all curiosity about you, usually because I think I have you all figured out. (laughs) Right. So now that I've got you all figured out, I don't need to listen to you anymore. I've really lost curiosity. And what happens at that point is I'm not actively engaging in the conversation anymore. I've checked out and Mm -hmm. I'm just waiting for this to end. And I just want, you know, this to all go away. So that means if I've lost my curiosity, my relational circuits have gone off. Um, If I want to get my circuits back on, it stands to reason then I got to find some curiosity. That's kind of how that works. You do the same with appreciation, kindness, and eye contact. They all become 
ways to check whether or not my relational circuits are on, ways and um, strategies I can use for getting them back. Yeah, that's the thing that struck me, Marcus, is they're, they're indicators. They're like a dashboard light that's like, you know, that can indicate something to us, but they're also a strategy that I yeah. can actually use to say, oh, if my relational circuits are off here. This, you know, this conversation isn't going well. Um, if I can practice some of these things, practice kindness, practice eye contact, if I can find something to appreciate, if I can find a question to ask, um, that actually re-engages that part of my brain. I remember who I am and now we're, now we're connected again. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> I can't tell you how many meetings I've been in where I've had to actively remind myself of cake <laughs> Yes, uh, as people are saying things and they're bringing things up and I am losing all curiosity about this person <laughs> and uh, I'm not really appreciating them very much. Yeah. I think of very many ways to be kind. And all of a sudden yeah. I realize my problem here is not shutting them down and defeating them. My problem is getting my whole brain back online and not being a half brain person in this situation. Hmm. <laughs> And it gives me a different problem to solve, and that is I got to make sure that I handle this in a mature manner that where mm-hmm. I am completely present and engaged. And if I can do that first, I know I will handle the problem better. Mm. So we call yeah. it the relationship bigger than the problem. In other words, let's make sure my relational circuits are on, that I'm being my relational self, and then let's dive into the problem instead of the other way around. So it's more important, cake reminds us, and I, I love that it's cake too, because who doesn't love cake? You know, like yeah. that's a nice thing to think about. Like, it is mm, yeah. cake, cake. But uh, but cake <laughs> reminds us that sorry, I got distracted by cake. Uh, cake <laughs> reminds us. What was I going to say? Cake reminds us that the that being connected in relationship is more important than the result of this meeting or the decision we come to or the the problem we're encountering. Like that. That's a more foundational, fundamental reality that needs to stay online. I think that I think the trick I play on myself, I'm just saying this because I think the trick I play on myself, my brain plays on me when I'm not in a cake mode, is that the most important thing is coming to the right conclusion. Or the most important thing is, you know, for this person's point of view to be debunked. Or rather than realizing actually what's more important than those things is that I stay connected here relationally. Yeah. It's a uh... You know, the reality is you can't save every relationship. Mm. So no matter what you do, they may reject you. They may walk away from you. Right. All here is, did I act like myself or was I, did I just go flat? Um, We sometimes call it enemy mode. Did I go into enemy mode? Mm. And so what happens is when my relational circuits go off, then I start to handle my my uh, relationships more and more from the left side of my brain instead of the right side of my brain. So the relational circuitry is all on the right side of my brain. Mm -hmm. Hmm. When I jump over to the left side and I try to handle relationships that way, um, that, well, that's the problem solving part of my brain. That's the part of my brain that analyzes and, and strategizes and tries to figure out what to do. And so what I did end up happening when that part of my brain shuts down is I treat pre- people like problems to be solved. Yeah. And so then I, what I'm doing in my relationship at that point is simply damage control. And that is, how do I get out of this situation with, with the least amount of damage possible to myself primarily? And um, hmm. that's kind of my biggest motivator over on the left side of my brain. The other part is that I am much more inclined to narcissistic behavior when my relational circuits go off. And uh, narcissism is essentially an inability to return to joy from shame, Hmm. which means if you make me feel shame um, and my, and I can't keep my relational circuits on, I will want to, uh, uh, I will want to reject that shame and deflect it back to you or onto somebody else. And that's where gaslighting comes from. It's where uh, the, uh, throwing people under the bus comes from right all this thing that says hey you know what you want you're attacking me are you kidding here let me tell you who the real bad guy is here and Mm. sometimes it's you and sometimes it's somebody else and so if you don't already well into the um you in other words you're not going to practice gaslighting if your relational circuits are on and you're acting like yourself you're only going to practice something like that if your circuits are off you're acting like a different person and your brain is kind of in enemy mode where Mm. you feel like this person is going to get you if you don't do something to control the situation. 
This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you, so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission, and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. I want to get to, like, how do we train our brains to stay online? How do we how do we work the brain muscle to be more available and open to being like whole-brained, right? Maybe we could uh, call it having shalom <laughs> in our mind. But uh, first, you you guys talk about joy more than any other like faculty or or attribute, um, and it's rare to talk about joy in leadership. Why is joy so important to you? Well- that's a great question because you know joy really is at the heart of all of this. We talk have a chapter in there called uh, "Leadership at the Speed of Joy," and the idea here is that joy is the only emotion that our brain craves. You know, nobody said ever said, "You know yeah. what? I'm having too much joy today. I'm going to go see see a counselor." Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody's ever gone. I, I I I really need some help. I'm just having way too much joy. Yeah. So joy is the emotion that God designed our brain to operate in and through. So when we, uh, peace and joy are sort of the flip sides of the same coin. And that is that peace is that low energy state of feeling at rest because you know, everything's okay. And sometimes you just know everything's okay because I'm with my dad and that's going to make everything okay. And other, and then joy is this relational word that says, oh, you're here. I love being with you. It's that feeling, you know, when your eight-year-old kid walks in the room and your eyes light up and you go, oh, yeah, let's go play. Let's do, you know, that's that relational joy. So joy is always taking place, again, in that same part of the brain we've been talking about. It's in that identity part of the brain and the uh, behind the right eye is where we experience joy. When we're not operating out of joy, we tend to go into our negative emotions, which if you did a brain scan on it, the, you would see the brain activity move to the back of your brain. Yeah. So literally, huh. this part of my brain is now lighting up with activity because I'm feeling shame, I'm feeling anger, I'm feeling disgust, I'm stuck in my depression. Can I ask a question about that, Marcus? Is yeah, that absolutely. is that is that the amygdala, the fight or flight system? Is that the is that the part of the brain you're talking about? Um, it's part of it. So we have uh, on the uh, we talk about a joy elevator on the right side of the brain, and level two is the amygdala. Oh. Level one is the uh, Attach, is the attachment center or the thalamus, which is combined with what's uh, called the nucleus accumbens. And the uh, and the nucleus accumbens is the part of our brain that has cravings. So oh, yeah. Think, Man, I really want some chocolate or, wow, I could really go for some Mexican or whatever. Um, but also craves people. It craves interaction. Uh, well, what they found from the um, brain research is that the main thing my brain craves is relational joy. When I can't find relational joy, I will settle for a non-relational substitute. And so that's so at the attachment level of my brain, I am forming attachments now with things like heroin and cocaine and uh, you know extreme things, ecstasy, uh, alcohol, but I, uh, or I can form attachments with pornography. I can attach because I'm now forming attachments with these experiences that are substitutes for joy. Yes. Right? substitutes for peace. And so at the, the amygdala is, you are right, the fight, flight, or freeze part of your brain. We call it the guard check. So the idea is like if I form an attachment, first thing that happens is my brain says, is this good, bad, or scary? If it's good, relational circuits stay on, no problem. But if it's bad or scary, I get that fight or flight reaction. And then when I get to the third part floor of that joy elevator, that's the part of my brain that reads body language. And uh, I'm, and so I'm much more likely to misread people if I am in fight, flight, or f- freeze mode. Right? Mm. Mm. Um, I'm not, and and frequently it, because we're not even because our brain that part of the brain isn't on, right? Yeah, so the, exactly. So the, the brain, brain that would tell us, thing, yeah, it, it uh, sometimes it, it serves as an on-off switch for the relational circuitry that keeps the activity stuck back here because there's off. 
and uh, doesn't allow the um, activity move to the front part of the brain where my joy center and my identity center are located. Mm. So and that's so why jo- we talk about it as emotional capacity because some people can handle shame and their relational circuits don't go off and they still act like themselves even though somebody just shamed them. It's mm. not an overwhelming experience and uh, they can uh, continue acting like themselves, remain relational and re- you know, not only return to joy but help other people around them return to joy. It depends on what your capacity for dealing with shame is. Um, other people have almost no capacity to deal with shame. It takes very little, and all of a sudden they're offline. You know, just the slightest hint of shame, and they're offline. And yeah. so you look at all of these areas, and there we call six big six big negative emotions that we tend to get stuck in. That we have to learn how to grow the capacity to remain ourselves with those emotions, and also how to return to joy from those emotions. Um, because if we don't, they're going to take over and run our lives. They're going to turn us into somebody else. And we're going to become uh, one of those leaders that nobody really wants to follow because they walk on eggshells around us because they never know when our circuits are going to be on, when they're going to be off. Yeah. Yeah. Difference. Yeah. So we're we're talking about brain science. We're talking about how to understand our behavior and motivations and attitudes based upon the areas of our brain that are on or off. And uh, I know, I know you're a Christian, Marcus, and, uh, and you love the scriptures and Jesus, Jesus does not talk about the joy elevator in the way that you're talking about it. So, and I know you do, you do work with discipleship and spiritual warfare. So how do you integrate like brain science and this neurology Mm-hmm. And and also like the teachings of Jesus and our Christian faith. Yeah, no, that's a great question. In fact, we've got uh, um, done quite a bit of re- reading, writing about that topic through the years. But let me just uh, take an example of like Jesus at the cross and how Jesus en- endured the cross. And what we've said is maturity is enduring hardship well. All right, what does well look like? Well, you remain relational, you act like yourself, you return to joy. Did Jesus do that when he went through the cross? Yeah, he endured hardship really well. Did he remain relational? Well, yeah, he took care of his mom, made sure that John was there to take care of her. He remained relational with the thief on the cross and led him into paradise with him. He even remained relational with his father. A lot of people say when he, you know, quoted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That, you know, God had turned his back and they lost that relationship. I I think he's just quoting Psalm 22. Yeah. at the rest of his time on the cross, he's talking to the Father constantly on the cross. He's remaining relational with him throughout that experience. Yes. You know, does he act like himself or does he suddenly turn into somebody else? Right? You know, no, you get the same Jesus when he's suffering that you get, you know, the rest of the time. Mm. And uh, and so I look at all those things and go, yeah, he, he, he not only returned to joy, he helped the thief on the cross next to him return to joy. He helped his mother and the Apostle John return to joy. He, yes. He modeled all of these things uh, really well. Yes. So when we look at the brain science, what we're looking at is, are the conclusions we're coming from from the brain science compatible with what we find in Scripture? Clearly, you're not going to find the brain science taught there. So you're saying, are the conclusions that we're coming up with compatible? We're finding is, yeah, absolutely. Um, Even things like the fruit of the Spirit. um, Yeah, yeah. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And, uh, you know, even self-control. And you begin to understand, I'm going to deal with my addictions and my self-control better if I have more, if I have greater emotional capacity, a greater ability to form relational attachments that are joyful rather than fearful. Yes. So, and this is uh, perhaps maybe just our modern need to know, but I think, I think for many of us, we have kind of this uncritically adopted sort of notion that the Holy Spirit is kind of this force that zaps us, right? So, uh, but what you're describing is, well, there, there's actually, you can actually trace in the mind, in the brain, like how joy increases. So, it, so, the, so then like, it's, it's hard. It trips people up. Well, what do I need the Holy Spirit for? You know what I mean? I got brain science now. I, I know. So, I, do you encounter that, I guess is what I'm asking. No, that's it. You know, it's an excellent point because we do tend to live in an either-or society, and we run into this in spiritual warfare too. It's like, yeah. is this a mental problem or is this a demon? I'm like, yeah, it could be both. You know, <laughs> um, there's a, uh, and you run into this with uh, the way the way we look at it is that 
the brain was designed by God for re- intimate relationship with him and with other people. So in other words, when he says, I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and I want you to love your neighbors yourself, he designed a brain to do that. And so what we see is that our entire brain structure is set up to practice the fruit of the Spirit. That's why it's there. Now, how do we do that? Well, you think about it. I don't become a more mature Christian by getting zapped by the Holy Spirit. I become a more mature Christian as I walk with the Holy Spirit, as I develop a relationship with God in which I trust Him more, in which I have greater intimacy with Him. So, for example, we talk about having a mutual mind state with God. Now, a mutual mind state normally happens through reading body language. So like even on Zoom, you can do it a little bit or on something like this. You can you can kind of catch eyes a little bit and go, yeah, I see what you're thinking. I see where you're going with that. I can read where, what's happening here. And, and there aren't words being expressed. You're not hearing from the other person, but you are having a connection and a sense of I am in sync with where this person is going. Well, I believe that God designed our brain to operate this way largely because he wants to have that kind of relationship with us, where we have this this sense that God is, I know what God is, you know, he's happy with this right now. I just sense the pleasure of God. I sense that he's yeah. uh, in, involved with this and, and, and at work here. And then on the left side of your brain, we could have a verbal conversation and God can speak to us verbally. And so you have both of those things going on. And sometimes if I think about what the body language was signaling and the message I was getting, I can put it into words. Right. And so now I say, Hey, you know, we kind of had this moment and I felt like they were saying this and this. And I, that's why sometimes I say, I feel like God was saying this, right. Because I'm describing this mutual mind experience I was having with God versus those times when words just pop into my head. I'm like, the Holy Spirit just spoke, right? I just mm. you know, just heard him say these words. That's a different kind of experience. And so what I look at is that we try to use what we've learned about um, brain science to help us grow our intimacy with God, to grow our attachment with him, to grow greater relational joy with him. Because I found one of the biggest obstacles in the Christian growth is that people are fear-bonded to God. And don't know how to have joy with him. Oh yeah, say more about that, Marcus. I, you know, when what I mean fear fear with somebody, I, it means I have to be in relationship with you, but I'm scared of you. Mm. So it starts with little kids who got yes. parents, and they have to be in relationship with these parents. But these parents can be scary. Yes. Right, and so they learn. If you're raised in a home like that, you kind of learn not to trust other people, and to always be waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. And so while you're in a relationship with them, that relationship is much more fueled by fear than it is by joy. And I find that a lot of Christians, especially ones who grew up in church from an early age, have have learned a fear bond with God. And they're much more concerned with what's going to tick God off than they are with what brings him pleasure. Um, And so this is part of why we have to deal with healing in our lives, part of why we have to deal with um, emotional healing and spiritual warfare issues because the enemy will take advantage of things like that to plant beliefs in our in our yeah. um, psyche that drive us away from God and keep us scared of Him. Yeah, we find that a lot in our work because uh, most of uh, most people carry around these false images of God that keep them from God, um, and so even Christians we need to be delivered <laughs> from uh, from not God. Um, maybe as we were wrapping up here. I'm I'm listening and I'm thinking, um, okay, I want to learn more about this, so I probably need to go get Rare Leadership, uh, maybe check out Deeper Walk International. But maybe give us, let's say I'm recognizing that, oh, I don't, I, I check out or I make, I, I, I don't have much joy in my life or yeah, I have a lot of um, attachments that are, that are relational substitutes in my life. What can a, what can a leader or a person begin to do to train themselves to be available to joy, to, to basically connect and bring their brain online? Yeah, there's a few basics that uh, anybody can start with who's starting at the beginning. But honestly, we've identified 19 different skills that Whoa. need to be grown and practiced. Um, and uh, there's a, an organization called Thrive Today uh, that specializes in training those 19 skills. Um the uh, director is Chris Corsi, and Chris and I just wrote a book on marriage together, taking all this brain science stuff and applying it to the marriage situation. Awesome. And uh, 
Um, but I tell people, I would start with a couple of things. Number one, learning how to quiet is, is a skill. The number one determiner of long-term emotional health is the ability to quiet from upsetting emotions. And so that's everything from just practicing deep breathing, you know, to uh, getting control of my body is part of the idea of quieting is I want to be able to, to regain control of my body after my body has become agitated by my yes. upset emotion. Yes. So what are some things that I can do to quiet and return to peace? Second, appreciation. And uh, we tend to think of appreciation almost like a left brain task of saying thank you. There's a great big difference between saying thank you, which is just a task, which I check off my list. Like I said, thankful. I was grateful. What more do you want? Mm -hmm. Appreciation is a state of being Mm. in which I, uh, I remain in that state for a good three to five minutes. Like I really appreciate this. And so it's the difference. I tell people simply, it's like the difference between noticing that there's a pretty sunset and taking five minutes to sit on a park bench and just soak it in. It's mm. it's night and day, isn't it, Marcus? Yeah, it's night and day. And so we encourage huh. people to, if you want to grow more joy, the fastest way to do this is to take five minutes at a time, twice a day, to slow down, take some deep breaths, and just enjoy whatever there is to enjoy. Right? Not asking you to fix your all the problems in life, not asking you to come up with a solution to the coronavirus, you know, but just asking you mm-hmm. to, in, uh, I give myself permission to enjoy this. So for me, a lot of times it's water. I love to go to places where there's water and just sit and look at the water for three, four or five minutes. I like mm-hmm. taking a walk at a park. I like, um, you know, sitting on my back deck and just enjoying things. A lot of times it's nature. And then, the, and then when you follow up that appreciation, share with somebody else your experience. So by the fact of me talking to you about it, turns on my relational circuits, right? Like, and then if you begin thinking about things that you've enjoyed and things that you've appreciated and, and maybe already starting to plan next time, you're going to get away and experience a little bit of joy in life. And so what happens is that if I can for five minutes a day, twice a day, um, over a 30 day period of time, do that consistently for 30 days, you will literally physically grow. The joy center in your brain will physically start to grow. Wow. So, you know, yeah. It's all and all the talk in the Bible about gratitude starts making a lot of sense, you know, and everything be thankful. Yeah, right. I, I need it. I need mm. that. Like, I feel like, uh, as you're talking, Marcus, I feel a stirring in my heart yeah, to actually cultivate. Yes cultivate the the virtue of joy yeah and uh yeah ben are you getting the same thing yeah my heart's being strangely warmed as well so yeah i I think it's happening i think it's happening (laughs) that's great yeah yeah. no and i i'm thinking of a a story that happened to me recently um that i'll I'll share briefly Uh, so we we run these um groups uh gravity leadership academy cohorts where we kind of uh, we we work people through a process where we're learning to discern kind of what has got up to in my life and that that kind of thing, and so part of part of the process is we discern like what what is some good news that I'm hearing from God about mm-hmm. you know about this situation whatever the situation is that we've been talking about like what's what's the gospel say here like what's the good news and then a big part of that is how do I say yes how do I surrender. Uh, we call it a like a do. Like, what do I do about it, right? And um, there was this uh, woman in one of my calls who's a pastor, and she was sharing that um, she had just uh, gone through this experience where she just had felt like God was affirming her call to be a pastor and to lead, you know, in this con- in this context that she was uh, in. And um, you know, she was just sharing that with us, and and I, you know, I said, well, what do you do to say yes to that? Like, how do you, you know, how do you respond to that? And you know, there was. Um, the the idea came up that uh, just to say thank you, you know, like to appreciate. To basically, she was on a walk at the time, and she just said, you know, well, I, you know, I could just say thank you, you know, to God, that kind of thing. That was suggested, and it, I think on the call, that's the what, what you said, the checklist. I think that's yeah. kind of how people were interpreting it, where they were like, oh, that's it. You're just going to say, all right, God, thanks, thanks for that. You know, here we go. But mm-hmm. what she did. And she, she, she told us about it on the next call. So this is her sharing her experience. But what she did was actually what you said about appreciating. 
So what she did was she was on a walk and she just began to talk to God about how much she appreciated being affirmed in her call through this relationship that she had just started. And, um, and she, she said, like, she just described everything that you just described. She's just like, I just, it was a beautiful time hmm. of just like appreciating what God is doing in my life. Um, and, you know, it's just a few minutes. And then, you know, she told us about it and the rest of us got to appreciate that on the call. It, it, right. it was the same kind of moment that you're talking about that we're, I think we're experiencing right now yeah. where we're like, this is beautiful. Like life is great. God is good. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I learned from Dr. Wilder is that there's uh, no such thing as um, people going, this is mo- too much joy, you know, uh, <laughs> you out, you're going to suck all the joy out of this room and say, no, joy likes to be shared, right? It, and yeah. it can be multiplied. I will have this caveat on it. And that is that um, there's a, there is a such a thing as too much joy. In other words, you got to have a rhythm of joy and peace in your life, joy and peace. Oh. Like and and sometimes parents make this mistake with their babies, and that is they'll tickle them and they'll get them experiencing joy, and the baby needs to calm down and have mm. a break, and the parent won't pick up on the cue, and they kind of push them too far. The baby will actually experience that as a form of abuse, right? It's oh, like gosh. it will do traumatic things inside oh, no. to them because one of the jobs that we're supposed to have is to recognize when people need a break. It's like, huh. let's take a break right now let's just quiet ourselves. Let's just calm down and let's just, you know, go do something and then we'll come back and do this again. So what good leaders need to recognize when their people have had enough, right? And there's a time to drive people Hmm. and it's called a crisis. Mm -hmm. But if you're constantly as a leader driving, 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 then what you're doing is you're communicating to people that everything is a crisis. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, wow. And what you what we want to do instead as leaders is we want to help people understand it's okay to take a break. It's okay to, you know, take time even in meetings to check in. So we do like emotional check-ins in our meetings and uh, where we give people one minute. It's just one minute. How are you checking in right now? Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes we'll even give them vocabulary to pick from. You know, are you swimming upstream? Are you floating down with the river? You know, are you a salmon going to this, you know, how? How's it going right now? And uh, and people will sometimes use that. Sometimes they'll go their own direction. But a lot of people will check in as, um, you know, uh, this is just one of those days I woke up struggling. Or another one time they'll say, yeah, actually, I was struggling earlier in the day, but I've, I feel like I've hit my stride and I'm getting some stuff done. And people are just sort of like, yeah, I see you. I know what that's like, you know, but we're, we're glad you're here. We don't try to fix anybody. We don't try to. You know, but we're just seeing and acknowledging this is the emotional yeah. check-in, how people are arriving today. And um, we found that to be very helpful in getting meetings started and just feeling relationally connected with each other hmm. uh, before we go diving into these moments. And then we also take time every now and then just say, why are you happy to be working with this organization? Right? Or why are you happy <laughs> that God's called you here? And just hmm. reminding yourself of, you know, what do you appreciate about this person? Yeah. What do you appreciate about yeah. So beginning to share joy. So starting a culture of joy as a leader partly means taking care of people, making sure they get the breaks they need, um, keeping them relationally engaged with different little strategies, uh, keeping them coming back to appreciation, sharing that appreciation with one another that they mm. really like that. And if you're in a team where people know they're not going to get pushed farther than their capacity regularly, they know they're going to get a break. They know they're going to, be with people who see them when they're up. They see them when they're down. They are happy. You know, they share appreciation on a regular basis. You feel more bonded to those people. You feel greater belonging. And I don't need much accountability on a team like that, right? Because I'm happy to sacrifice to do whatever's going to the, the team needs me to do. Yeah. Whereas if I don't have that, then I end up. Um, that's when uh, fear-based systems of management become all the more prevalent because mm. nobody wants to be there in the first place. So I've got a right. hammer down. Mm. Yeah, so good, Marcus. Uh, mm. the, the book is called Rare Leadership, Four Uncommon Habits for Increasing Trust, Joy, and Engagement in the People You Lead. Uh, as you're talking, I feel like, man, we, we're in the same tribe. We're, we're doing such similar stuff. Yeah, and And I've uh, just personally, I've read books by Jim Wilder in the past, um, and I just recommend, heartily recommend all the stuff that he's mm-hmm. written. And the work you did together with him in this book, I think, takes 
takes the, some of the best insights that Wilder has and makes them really accessible to pastors and leaders. So thank you for your work, Marcus. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I remember uh, meeting with you guys fondly. It was a, uh, yeah, I think you were just, just um, a couple of years into your journey there. So it's uh, yeah, it was a few years ago. Come. Yeah. Thanks. Right. Yeah, Bless thanks you so much. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.